This is Sana Sana Podcast, a feminist podcast that promotes healing and normalizes mental health with Adriana and Adriana. You know what's so exciting is that we have a new theme song. Oh, that's true. So thank you, Alina Celeste. Sana Sana was um, performed by Alina. It's going to be our ongoing song. Um, she is a children's uh, songstress, and I think it's extra special that the, this is a song explicitly written for children because, as we had said last week, you know, everybody knows that Sana Sana is a childhood song, but also, like, for me, listening to children's songs and reading children's books and, like, really taking part in, like, child art... Just reminds me to like really connect and curate time for my inner niña, like which I never do. So I'm excited to kind of learn a little bit more about that and yeah, do it for myself, promote it. Yeah, I'm all about it. Yeah, we're gonna have probably an episode dedicated to our inner child. So just a little, I'm down, you know, something to think about. But hey, you're tuning in to Sana Sana. Hi, hello. We're so excited you're here. Very very excited because. People actually listened to the first episode, and that's very exciting. So thank you if you're a returning listener. Yes, we're so excited. And we have been talking about how excited we are, right? Like, we've been, <laughs> we've been doing our Jenny, Jesse Spano moments the, the entire time that we, <laughs> we launched this all week. We've been talking about it. So right now you're tuning into Tokaya time. It's... Just basically where Adriana and I check in on each other to see how we've been doing um, in the last week. And so how have you been doing since the podcast launched? Um, So I have been very busy. This is the start of fundraising season, which is very busy for me. It's Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Shout out Mm -hmm. to that October. Um, So we're wrapping up a lot of stuff uh, in regards to that in work. So work has been pretty busy. Um, Really enjoyed the beautiful weather that we had. Um, And this past weekend, I was really excited because I saw you and other people that we know Erica L. Sanchez's um, event, her book launch for the book that we're actually going to be kind of talking about in the Corazón a Corazón, mm-hmm. I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter, um, which I already started reading. And I love Julia. <laughs> I love her. I relate to her. Yes. She's awesome. Like, I love her. Yes. So. We don't want to give away too, too many spoilers right, right. because we know... The book just came out, so if you haven't bought your copy yet, go out and get your copy. Mm-hmm. Preferably support your local bookseller, but you can also get it on Amazon if you need to. Um, yes, we're really happy to have Erica join us for our interview segment today. We're going to go into that a little more. But yeah, that was such a fun night. Mm-hmm. It felt like all my favorite people were in the same room. Extra special shout out to Jorge Valdivia who organized the entire event. He put so much time and effort into it. Was it was beautiful. He did a beautiful job. Um, and a thank you to the National Museum of Mexican Art for also hosting. And to you for moderating. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I uh, forgot. I did the Q&A. It also 
I was joking. I was like, I blacked out. What happened? How'd it go? <laughs> um, but also, jokes aside, it was just really fun because Erica is, you know, my homegirl. And it was just like we were up there sitting in our living room talking like, you know, mess like we usually do. <laughs> so, um, except we had just a bunch of people watching us. So that was that was a little bit It was great for the audience, too. Yeah. Um, but as I had mentioned last week, Erica was a part of this podcast when it was just a baby conception idea, uh, vision, and we never really got to launch it together. We just talked about it, and we actually did a recording with our friend Idalmi, who is also going to be a guest in the future. Um, but you know, it felt only appropriate and right to have her be our first Corazón a Corazón segment. Mm-hmm. Uh, because she is great. (laughs) Her book is really so necessary. It follows an everyday family that is here in Chicago, and um, it's it's so beautiful to see yourself in in a book. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not Julia, but I saw myself in Julia's family. In Julia, I saw myself in Olga. (laughs) I saw myself... And um, some of the interactions they have with their friends and their family. So Absolutely. It just felt good to see that. And so you've already started reading the book. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I couldn't stop. And it was so good. And I didn't necessarily, like, see myself in the family. But Julia, like, really, like, I really connected with that character because I was, and still am, malcriada and I'm a brat. And just all this mm-hmm. stuff that I guess you grow out of adolescence. I still haven't fully grown out of it. <laughs> um, but it was just great to see my past experiences or just stuff that you live through being represented. And it's kind of, um, what's the, like, validation almost, right? Because you don't see yourself oftentimes in literature or in the media, et cetera, et cetera. So it was just, it was great. I'm really happy to... Um, have been at the event and yeah shout out to Erica and uh, her nomination to the Mm -hmm. National Book Award Mm -hmm. is that what it's called yeah it's a really big deal Um, also I guess something that I wanted to touch upon in our check-in is recognizing how (laughs) how our first podcast for at least for me you could speak for yourself if this has been your experience mm-hmm. but has really been sort of what I call a soft launch so I've been like really low-key about promoting it and and I think I've pa- been no key <laughs> I have not promoted it but I think a part of that is a little bit of fear right like oh my gosh I'm producing something it's out in the world I always act like I'm not sensitive, but I am sensitive about my art. And I want, actually, I want critical feedback. Like, I always loved getting, whenever I took a writing class or, you know, I had to submit a paper, I wanted it to come back with, like, a red pen. <laughs> and I wanted people to tell me how to make it better. I didn't right. want people to be like, oh, this is great. Like, no, tell me how it can be better. So that's kind of my call to folks. I would love to hear. Like, I want to be challenged. I want us, I want this podcast to be challenged because as we were talking about before we started recording, uh, we're all problematic and we all have so much room for growth. So as we are all in this healing journey together, like, let's hold ourselves accountable lovingly, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm definitely wanting to hear what people want to hear like that's what I want to know like what do you want to hear and are we 
going through the right topics? Do they relate to you? Mm -hmm. Like, just a lot of that. Yeah. I'll probably cry if there's, like, something mean, but I'm just a sensitive... beautiful. (laughs) Jonona. Yeah, no, I I cry a lot, too. I haven't yet, but I know I will, (laughs) because... I call it the thaw. I, f- I feel all kinds of things now mm. th- than I did not used to before. So I think it's good. Um, but, you know, so some of it is like fear of like being exposed, exposed, For me vulnerable. Least. Like it's exciting that I, I'm like sharing so much of myself, but also like <gasps> how much is too much? Um, what am I supposed to hold for myself? You know, and I think. I think I want to really aim to be as honest as I can be because, you know, having been so good at compartmentalizing in my past, um, that hasn't always served me. Mm. Um, And that has actually stunted some of my growth and healing before. So I'm really trying to work at being more open with everyone in my life. But there is always a balance with that, though, right? So... Um, you'll you'll probably hear a lot of that pull and push as I you know grow in this podcast, and I guess the other piece of it too is like I'm still figuring out how we best promote the podcast, right? right? So uh, like we haven't gotten to the part where we are on Facebook yet, mm-hmm. or you know we're f- slowly figuring out like what our brand is, all of the like logistical stuff right so bear with us bear with us um but i think all of these are great problems to have absolutely yeah and i feel like i also have had the same i don't know that we actually have talked about it i guess we're talking about it right now but i have also been thinking of oh wait like am i supposed to share this do i want to share it but i think it's really easy to share because i feel very comfortable with you and i feel like this is a really safe space and so hopefully it's a safe space out there for those who are listening. Um, but I also am having that internal kind of discussion as to like, what is the fine line of how much I'm going to tell about my, you know, story or, or whatever it may be on the topics that we're going to discuss. Definitely some will be more than others, but it's, you know, growth and it's just a process. So join us in this adventure. Yeah. <laughs> this is Sana Sana Podcast. I'm Adriana. And I'm Adriana. Okay, so Tokaya, I think we are now moving on to our next segment, which is the Sana Sana Glossary. So we're talking about two terms today, right? That we want to make sure that we are um, just having some clear definitions around and also providing some regular words Mm -hmm. that help describe these definitions. So what's our first one? So the first one is intersectionality. And I know that we both said it in the introductory podcast. So we want to talk about that and really discuss that. So for me, intersectionality is a term. It was coined in 1989 by Kimberly Crenshaw. And she's a black uh, feminist legal scholar. And basically, she came up with this term to explain kind of the position or the positionality of black women and how it's different, right? And so just backing up a little bit, intersectionality describes the interlocking systems of oppression that work together to discriminate and just oppress a certain person, right? They're interconnected. You really can't see these differently. So what I'm talking about in these institutions would be like 
racism, sexism, homophobia, ableism, classism, xenophobia, right? So when I when we say that we are feminists and that we look at the world through a intersectional feminist lens is that right so i don't only see like gender but i also see like gender race class um, sexuality ability immigration status right these all work together um and often you know they're working in a negative way yeah and you know one of the things that i was talking to you about and even in my own research because i use this word all the time and so part of this segment is really to make sure that we're talking about these ideas and these concepts in everyday speak so that we can really help facilitate a lot of these conversations with our loved ones who who might not be immersed in these words right um to help them recognize uh these ideas so Intersectionality um, is a word that you know I use all the time, and I thought it was really important that first we talk about where the idea came from because it's so important that we credit Kimberly, who is a black woman. Um, I think you're going to hear this a lot on our during our show because Adriana and I both care deeply about this, and that is like absolutely honoring black women as having done an immense amount of emotional labor mm-hmm. um, in in not just feminism, but in a lot of the, Girl. right, and a lot of this work. So one of the things that I learned about, um, you know, when I talk about practicing uh, feminism intersectionally is also being mindful. So I was telling Adriana, there's a debate that, like, if you are not black, you really shouldn't call yourself an intersectional feminist because... Um, that that word really is reserved for black women um, because that term was coined for black women. And so that's something that I'm marinating in and really making sure I'm being mindful. Um, I'm being mindful about, but also still absolutely promoting and doing my work to make sure that my uh, feminism is intersectional and that's so I know that's like very like nuanced and tiny little thing and it's an ongoing debate but I'm absolutely going to believe and support black women when they say that's our word please like if you're a feminist and you practice intersectionalism but you're not black don't call yourself an intersectional feminist and I thought it was so interesting because mm-hmm. I never knew that and like intersectionality was at the core of two years of graduate studies for me and that was never, never mentioned like anywhere. And I mean, maybe it was because I only had one black professor and everyone else was like either white or we had some other diversity, but that just never came up in the conversation. So I'm really grateful that you are bringing that because I believe that credit goes where credit is due and right. it's a black, you know, feminism, black women. Um, so I'm really grateful that you said that. I can give my own experience as an example, right? So I am a Chicana woman that I both experience in my life, I'm I'm able to experience both privilege and oppression, right? Mm -hmm. So being able to recognize those experiences, I think, is also a part of doing work intersectionally. So for example, I am able-bodied, I'm light-skinned. Um, in certain spaces, I pass as white, right? I Education. I have, yeah, I've had access to higher education. I have a U.S. citizen status, so my immigration status 
is something that provides privilege. But in a lot of ways, you know, um, coming from a Mexican family who's immigrated here, we have last name Diaz. Uh, I've seen, you know, my family go through xenophobia and racism. All of those experiences have also provided some points of oppression, right? So it's like mm-hmm. being able to understand how in a lot of ways I'm being challenged by these systems and living, you know, through through barriers, but also in so many other ways, I have access that many of my brothers and sisters don't have access. So how do I use that privilege to navigate um helping my my community come up or have access as well right yeah absolutely that's one one example Mm -hmm. can you think of another example so i think that the example that often i use is kind of women right two different types of women and one is going to be like a transgender woman of Mm -hmm. color Mm -hmm. poor and then the other is going to be like a white woman they Mm -hmm. both are gonna have to deal with sexism right but then the transgender woman of color is going to have to deal with racism, is going to have to deal with um, probably cl- classism, transphobia. Um, you know, like there's so many other barriers that this other person has to get through in order to have the same access as this other woman, right? So I feel like mm-hmm. that's always an easier way for me to understand it and to explain it to, to folks who are not, you know, in this field or, or whatever it may be, but just to understand that just because you can't just use one lens, right? You just can't use the gender lens. You have to use them all together because they all intersect. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that I've been taught when you're explaining a really difficult word is how would you explain it to your mom's friend? Mm. Right. And so like one of the things that I'm thinking about is, first of all, how do you say intersectional? in Spanish, and how do you say intersectional feminism in Spanish? So I looked it up. Intersectionality is la interseccionalidad. Mm-hmm. And... Feminismo interseccional. Right, so those are, like, already mouthfuls. But when you're trying to explain to someone what what is that actual concept, you want to think about how we live in the world first, period. We live in a world that treats us differently depending on where we've been and where we're going. Mm-hmm. This mm. is so hard. <laughs> this is a good exercise for us. Damn. I know. We should use intersectionality in a sentence. We want to expose you to some of the process that we're currently going through to talk about these glossary terms because we understand how hard it is to have these conversations. So we definitely are open to suggestions and we want this to be the start of a conversation um, at different levels because, again, when we're talking about access, um, using words that are, you know, textbook, that's already showing a privilege, right? Absolutely. So that's part of our work. And while we're struggling, we're really committed to making this happen. So holler at us if you can explain intersectionality to your Latino parents. Because yeah. we really want to get there. Yes. Education liberation. So let's try <laughs> to do this. Right. And our second term um, is depression. Mm. So we're going to be talking about this a lot this episode. Um, and we actually used the, the, the definition that is provided by the American Psychiatric Association. 
and they define it as a common and serious medical illness that negatively affects how you feel, the way you think, and how you act. Um, fortunately, it is also treatable, which means that you can get better. Um, depression causes feelings of sadness and or a loss of interest in activities that you used to enjoy. It can lead to a variety of emotional and physical problems and can decrease a person's ability to function at work and at home. So symptoms must last at least two weeks for a diagnosis of depression. So in Spanish, depression is depresión. And it should be noted that depression is different from, you know, regular sadness and even different from grief or bereavement. So we wanted to make sure to add that. And um, if you want to learn more about the American Psychiatric Association's uh, definition or use of the word, you can visit uh, www.psychiatry.org. But, um, Tokay, I know that you wanted to talk a little bit about this definition and this term. Right. So I just thought that for me, I just would describe what depression feels like for me. And it has felt differently depending, you know, when I was younger until now. So for me, it feels like helplessness, low energy, like a sense of emptiness, a lot of crying, guilt and shame like there's a lot of just negative feelings um that persist and last um it's really horrible but it is treatable and then it also messes with my sleep so lack of sleep mm -hmm. that's one of the things that i hate the most um and really not being present and zoning out is is a lot mm -hmm. that happens to me um, so yeah, I just wanted to share like kind of my symptoms and how depression affects me mm -hmm. because I think that sometimes when you explain that it's kind of easier to understand or grasp. So yeah, yeah, that's just my, that's my definition. That's my glossary. Thank you for sharing that. And also Erica's going to be talking about her depression in the interview in the Corazón a Corazón segment that we have coming up. Again, just want to reiterate that this is, um, an illness and it, it's something that you know occurs in the body it actually does have often has physical symptoms as well as it being a mental illness so i, I wanted to reiterate that because a lot of times um people who aren't familiar with depression think that like you can snap out of it or that you can control it when you know you can't it's not like if you have someone who has a broken arm you're like get over it already heal your arm already right so right. it's it's something that we want to make sure that we talk about often we want to make sure that we're explaining to folks that this is a medical condition absolutely so that was a really hard uh, segment. <laughs> uh, we're going to be working on that. That's a work in progress. It's, yeah. a, it's a great exercise. Stay tuned. Yeah. See, we've got you hooked already. Yeah, we'll I improve. Love it. I love it. Okay. So our next segment, Chiyona Corner. Uh-oh. In thinking of like the topics that we're talking about today, which is a lot around depression, um, depression for youth, and just kind of how to seek help and other stuff like that. I was reading the news and saw that 
Once again, the Illinois state budget crisis is still a crisis, I guess, um, because I saw that um, there are going to be huge cuts. And right here, I'm quoting 89 million um, that was set aside to pay dozens of social service programs such as homelessness prevention, addiction treatment, autism therapy, like all these services that are so important for mental health, for the most vulnerable populations and, and just everyone that needs support. These are not going to be like paid. They're being cut. And this is nothing new, right? But it was really triggering to see this yeah. again because the state of Illinois has been in the last three years just suffering so much especially our social our social service um it's just basically non-existent like the state doesn't care their neoliberal policies across the board where everything needs to be pri uh, privatized where you know we just don't care about the people yeah. and this was definitely like hit home um, especially after like the conversations that we've had about, you know, the pe people with mental health need support in order to get better. And we're cutting all of these services. Yeah. And I mean, I wanted just to take a quick step back for folks that might not live in Illinois or if you do live in Illinois and maybe you haven't been paying attention or you haven't really had a lot of information about the budget. So we've been without a budget for years and we just started to implement like partial budgets mm -hmm. right so every year the state passes a budget um but we've been without one for years so a lot of the um you know services that are provided to people who you know are um that come from like a low-paying job or might might need services like medicaid medicare or say you go to a nonprofit organization that provides services that help you with like how to find a home right to get fair like a like you're you could be homeless, but also you could be a first time home buyer, right? And you, you go to a program that teaches you how to buy your first home because you are an immigrant and you haven't had, you know, people that have lived in your family here for a long time that know how to navigate these systems. So it affects so many different kinds of services that we, you know, if, if we're not accessing them, we might not think about them or we might be in a really great position where we are getting paid a decent living wage that and we have insurance health insurance that we might not need these services and that right there is your privileged position right? exactly so we might not think of these but at the end of the day a lot of families rely on these services a lot of people um, need these services to just make it um, especially if you're mentally ill or you have a low-paying job or you're homeless um, those are just some some examples of vulnerable populations of people who already are, you know, struggling. And then you take away any chance that they have to really better their situation by, you know, stripping these services from from their hands. So Illinois has been in very dire circumstances um, within the Latino community, so it took so long to build these nonprofit infrastructures that serve 
Latinos that are organizations that are Latino-led and Latino-serving. And in the last few years, we've seen a lot of those nonprofits have to close their doors, have to furlough staff, have to cut back seriously cut back on services that they were providing Latino communities. So that's just one example. I mean, this these cuts are affecting communities of color all throughout Illinois. Um, but I know specifically because I've worked in Latino nonprofits, like how, how that has affected mm-hmm. us. Um, so this is really tragic, and it should make you really mad to hear this. And I... To be honest with you, like, I've been hearing about this for so long that I am, like, burnt out and Mm -hmm. so annoyed. And, you know, lawmakers and everyone keeps saying, you know, make your voices heard and keep writing and keep doing this. But just know that 2018, you're going to vote and that you need to be informed because we're going to, you know, there's a new election and we need to put people in that are really going to have our best interest at heart and that they're really going to work for the people of this state. And it's just, it's, it's very heartbreaking and it makes you feel very um, helpless, really. Yeah, um, but what we can do and control is how much we inform ourselves, right? So Adriana brought this topic up today because we are talking about mental health resources, specifically for young people. As you'll hear more in the interview that we do with Erica, and if you pick up a copy of the book, I'm Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter, this idea of accessing Uh, mental health resources if you're a young person is really important because I think our communities already face a lot of stigma for asking for help and we all need help it could look different depending on where you are and who you are but no one should navigate life by themselves no one is a self-made quote-unquote man or woman like no one is self-made we all um, have had help whether we recognize it or not, right? Help looks different depending on what you're going through. And if you're a young person who is struggling with depression um, or a mental illness or, you know, even just a lot of normal everyday teenager issues that at that age can, you know, change the course of your life and having just like a simple conversation with a trusted person, a professional that can help navigate help you navigate those decisions it's so important that we start planting the seed in our young people to take advantage of those resources when they are available absolutely i mean we already know that specifically for latinas they face so many other barriers than just everyone else right so culture language barrier maybe immigration status there's also you know uh you know the misconceptions and myths about mental health um, inside our families and we don't want to talk about them like these are all really serious um, issues that we often don't think about but it's it's harder for us to ask for help than for other people who might just have insurance and say hey let me just make a call and get an appointment and just you know seek help so it's just devastating that all the services that are supposed to help and provide a safety net for, for those who are disadvantaged are being completely upro- just cut and without considering that it's really affecting humans, people. Um, so I'm really annoyed about mm-hmm. it and upset and still trying to figure out how we can best um, fix this. But, you know, 
activism looks different for everyone. So vote, get informed, donate, do whatever you can because we it's not going to change unless we all like do come together like and do something at the same time. Um, unfortunately. And fortunately, there are resources still available. We're going to be talking about some of those resources, but we want the very few resources that we'll mention. Those are just a couple. We want our community, the Sana Sana community, to share resources, link resources, provide resources. I mean, ours, some, some of ours will be Chicago-specific, but if you're listening from another part of the country, um, share the resources that you know about um, you know, on our platforms, tweet us, send us an email, and we'll make sure that we mention those as well. Um, and we'll be talking about a few of those resources available to people after our interview segment in the Colita de Rana segment. But this is a perfect transition um, into introducing the interview with Erica. Again, uh, had the pleasure of talking to her uh, over the phone, and uh, she took time out. So thank you, Erica, for taking time out to talk with us. Um, so yeah, let's take a listen. This is Sana Sana Podcast. I'm Adriana. And I'm Adriana. My name is Erica El Sanchez, and I am a feminist writer. That is really what guides me in my everyday life. I would say I care very deeply about women's issues, um, mental health issues. Most of my work centers on that experience of, you know, being a brown woman in the United States and struggling with depression and issues of class and race. So for me, it's as a person, these are things that I care about and that translates into my work. And so for, for me, it's like they're inextricable, um, the, the work and, and like who I am. And so I write stories and, you know, poems that I hope empower women and normalizes mental health issues. Um, I think there's a really deep stigma in our community, especially that I'm trying to break. I think that we need to start talking about therapy and, um, you know, medication and, and not be ashamed. And so that's, that's where I come from, and um, I just hope that with the work that I do, um, people start opening up and, you know, asking for the help that they need. Okay, and tell us a little bit about um, where you're from, who you're related to, <laughs> any of those kind of identifiers, sure. what neighborhood you claim, any any of that, and, like, where you currently are, too, because we're, we're yeah. we missed this interview phone. Um, sure. So go there a little bit, too. I'm Mexican-American. I grew up in Cicero, Illinois. Shout out to Cicero. Um, border Chicago. and. Um, most of my family still in the Chicago area. I'm currently living in New Jersey because I'm teaching at Princeton, uh, which is an amazing opportunity and privilege. Um, I used to live in Bridgeport, and um, it was my hood, and I miss it very much. I'm very much a Chicago girl. <laughs> yeah. 
I was just going to say, especially um, those that are familiar with Chicago accents, that's one of the things I love most about you is you've got no. like a real one, girl. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. Every time it's I read my wonderful. poetry, I'm like, oh. Yeah. It's wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So good, I cringe a so little good. bit sometimes when I hear myself. I'm like, oh, dear. I think you and I, even though we've known each other for a few years now, probably like six years or so, we really only got to really know each other probably in the last like year and a half. And, and I think we bonded over, I mean, each of our healing journeys is very unique and different. But, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that we were kind of overlapping in that time in our life was really great. And I think it also was awesome that we either were living down the street from each other for a while or, you know, we were roommates for a minute where we can actually, like, decompress and, like, talk out a lot of the stuff that we were currently going through. So I think that's really special, and I just want to acknowledge that. Like, if you have a friend Definitely. in your life, right, that you come from the same values, and you can hold each other accountable and speak, like, real truth to each other. Um, that is so healing, and that is medicine. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I don't know how I would have survived that year without you, to be quite honest. <laughs> You're strong. You would have. It would have just not been as fun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like it was meant to be that we. I ended up living down the street from you. But I want to just start off with, like, having you talk about what healing means to you. Because, you know, we're just talking about sana, sana, colita de rana, you know, like rubbing on a boo-boo mm-hmm. when you hurt yourself or scrape your knee. But healing, as we've learned at this stage in our life, really does encompass so much more um, and often refers to injuries that are not visible. Right. So can you talk a little bit about what healing means to you? Yeah. Oh, my God. That's such a big question. It's something that I've been thinking about a lot in the last few years. So um, when I was when I had just turned 30, I um, had I experienced this really terrible depression. It was the most severe I've ever had. Um, and during that time, I mean, I was just I felt broken. Um, and in the recovery period, I feel like I shattered and then rebuilt myself into the person that I've always wanted to be. And so um, these last few years have been really pivotal in transformation. Um, so during that time, I experienced, you know, this horrific depression and then I started to recover, and then I went through a divorce. Um, my relationship of eight and a half years ended, and um, that was really hard to get through. And so there was a lot of change. You know, I moved out into my own apartment and things like that. Uh, I also converted to Buddhism within that time, which was really important for me in the healing process. Um, I feel like I was always meant to be Buddhist, and I finally found it at the time that I really, truly needed it. And so um, one of the guiding principles for me from Buddhism is is the idea of turning poison into medicine. And so I've been, you know, using that as a guide because 
I've learned to accept that suffering is just inevitable. It's a part of life. It's a part of being a human being. Um, people are going to die. We're going to get sick. Um, bad things are going to happen because we're human beings, and that's just that's exactly what um, happens in life. And so coming to terms with that was really healing. Um, and also understanding that there, the, what matters most is how you respond to suffering. Um, because again, it's going to happen, but what are we going to do, um, with the terrible things that happen? Like, how are we going to respond? How are we going to try to make the world better for other people? Um, and so that's what I've been trying to do with my writing is, um, you know, write about the experience and offer uh, a sense of hope. Mm. I'm still actually, like, marinating in the uh, imagery of uh, broken, like, pieces and shards and picking up, like, the shiniest one and, like, making that piece, like, beautiful and full again, right? I just, I love Mm -hmm. that. Um, and, um, I interview, um, I interviewed Marisol Vélez, who is known as Pinky Ring, and she talks about, um, you know, um, you know, having risen from ashes. And so I think mm-hmm. this idea of, like, rebirth and transformation and, like, remaking yourself is, is really, like, important and strong and powerful, really. Um, and, I also really love what you said about, like, finding something that, like, you always were. And uh, I have a teacher that always talks about just, like, um, the idea of that we're really just remembering, right? Remembering Mm -hmm. what's, like, Mm -hmm. already inside of us and, like, being connected to the past and the present and the future. A lot of what the answers that we seek are already inside of us. And so it's being able to sit still long enough so that we can remember um yeah and so i, I, think I, that's why yeah, I would love that you so talk important. about that yeah mm-hmm. yeah it, like with um chanting which is what i do every morning usually every night um i get so such clarity about who i am and my life and just everything it's it's, it's amazing to just sit still and listen that's so important um, and going back to the image of the brokenness, uh, there's this, uh, I, I've written about this actually, I have an essay about my conversion to Buddhism. Um, there's this Japanese art, I forgot, I think it's called Wabi Sabi, and it is pottery that has been um, shattered and then put back together with uh, either gold dust or or other, some other kind of uh, like precious dust and it's considered more beautiful the object is considered more beautiful after it's been broken and put back together so that's something that I, I really love to think about so part of why I invited you on the show today um, it's at least in this particular time, because you were always going to be on the show. <laughs> um, it's really because of um, 
one of your books that is is out now. Um, it just came out. And so we're going to be talking a lot about the book, so a huge spoiler alert. And congratulations again. Um, Thank you. I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter is out now. So can you just talk a little bit about the book itself in terms of, like, the process and what the book is? I started this book several years ago. Um, It's a young adult book. Um, But really, it's for everyone. I would hope that everyone could get something out of it. Uh, But the reason that I, you know, made it a young adult book was because I wanted young women to have uh, access to it. I wanted the marketing to go towards young people. Um, And the book deals with um, the protagonist, her sister dies, and that's how the book begins. And during this process of grieving, um, she discovers things about her sister and her family and herself that are really surprising and it, it helps her make sense of like her family dynamic and her family history. Um, but during the, this process, she deals with severe depression that, you know, goes undiagnosed for a long time. And so when I wrote it, my aim was to, you know, address mental health stigma, um, and, write a story about what it means to be a young woman coming of age and, you know, grappling with so many different issues of sexuality and, you know, gender and being bicultural. I mean, she lives in Chicago. Uh, Her parents are Mexican immigrants, and she feels very much stuck in between two very different worlds. And so... For me, it was uh, I wanted to honor my experience as a young woman and also create a voice um, that other women could connect to. Yes, and I think when I read the book, um, I felt so like pissed. Mm-hmm. I felt all these feelings. There were so many feelings I felt. I felt mad at the character who the main character's name is Julia, right? Mm-hmm. And then her sister is Olga. Um, and then there's all these other amazing characters, but I, I want to really focus on Julia and Olga for a minute. But um, I remember telling you, like, I was so angry at Julia. Um, yeah. Because Julia in the book is, um, a sad and angry young lady who doesn't feel the need to hold back her anger and speaks from the heart and um, often lashes out um, mm-hmm. and often says things that are hurtful. Um, but it's because she's hurting, right? And she... Right. She is not afraid to just be who she is. And I realized when I read the book that I was mad at her because she was able to do that so freely mm-hmm. where I, as a 37-year-old woman, am just learning how to do, right? And so yeah. it, it really tapped into, like, 
my own issues with like respectability and then realizing like oh my god I'm Olga <laughs> which in the, in the in the book Olga is the quote unquote perfect daughter which really she's not we learn later on but um really it was Olga's mask because she did it you know from what I can maybe I'm projecting but from what I could tell Olga just didn't really know how to move through the world without disappointing her parents without disappointing you know the world she she felt like there was a specific role she needed to play and she was a people pleaser so she was really much caught up in that role mm-hmm. and you know speaking of like the family dynamics that you spoke of i think that is like really 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 important to like dismantle those family dynamics especially when you're coming from a toxic or like um a tragic situation so yeah. i just kind of wanted to get you know your thoughts on Sure. Um, and the sisters, um, as who they were as, uh, as people, as characters, but also, um, like where you see yourself in, in the two sisters. Sure. Well, I think it comes to no surprise that I'm very much a Julia. <laughs> um, <laughs> definitely fiction, but, um, yeah, I, I was very outspoken and kind of snarky as a teenager and um I wanted to like tap into that experience and and I knew that people were going to be bothered by Julia and you know her personality um and I I felt like it was really important to create a character that was really flawed um, and so there are many components to Julia. She's angry and kind of mean at times, um, but she's also really vulnerable and, you know, terrible shit has happened to her. And so um, I wanted to really delve in that complexity because I think often women of color are not allowed to be flawed in literature. Um, like we're supposed to be likable and pleasing and all of that. And that's not really realistic. Also, that's not a very interesting story. So I've been talking a lot about that in panels and in interviews, how uh, Julia is exasperating, and um, that's kind of the point. Um, so I've, I've had some reviews where people are, like, you know, complaining about how unlikable she is and, and I don't, I don't really see that as a valid criticism, to be quite honest. I'm like, is she a, a complex, interesting character? That's the question for me always, rather than do I want to have lunch with her and hang out with her? Um, Absolutely, just, yeah, yeah. I'm so glad she makes people uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, and I'm glad she made you uncomfortable and made you realize things because I. Uh, that, that's what I'm hoping to do with this book. Like, I, I want people to first understand another experience. I mean, that's what reading is, right? Empathy, um, trying to live in someone else's reality for the length of the book. Um, and also talk about things that are really uncomfortable. Like, Julia calls shit out and... Um, that could get really 
just mm, painful at times. <laughs> you know, she she doesn't really mince her words, and um, that's not really something that is encouraged typically in our culture. Um, I know growing up, I would, you know, call things out that I thought were sexist and things like that or homophobic, and, and I was seen as disrespectful, and I wanted to address that dynamic. Like, Olga is, quote-unquote, perfect, but not really. Like, there's so much of her that she hid from her family. And I think that's a, a common dynamic that that people have um, to, you know, please the family. They have to, like, suppress who they are and, um, you know, manifest their desires in pretty unhealthy ways. And so definitely Team Julia, um, <laughs> she is kind of an asshole, but... I think she's kind of a lovable asshole, if, if you ask me. Yes. No, I felt so much compassion for Julia because I I I grew up with a Julia, right, like um, within my own family. And, mm-hmm. you know, now understanding as an adult and having more understanding of, like, some, you know, trauma-informed frameworks and um, having worked with youth and having – um, a you know a tiny little bit of a gleaming of understanding like child psychology, like it's it's important for us to understand why um, youth might lash out in this way, right? Because they're right. hurting, and so I think it's so beautiful that Julia can be so honest with it, and it makes me actually feel really sad for Olga because you know if. If she had been able to continue living, like, the fact that she was living up to something that wasn't even her own standards, right? There weren't things that she had chosen necessarily. Like, how mm-hmm. much harder would it have been to get to the place where she needed to be to embrace her anger or her pain or, you know, maybe she would have followed a similar path. But, you know, like, the honest piece. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's such an important thing to tap into. And so in a way, like Julia was really evolved because of that. She was, you know, a young lady, but really evolved already with the work that it takes to be self-aware and to heal. Yeah. And people didn't like it. <laughs> and people don't no, like it. No, like, it Yeah. Readers are like, how dare she? You know, like it's she is frustrating. I, I, I agree. But also, I don't know. I feel like she's a a complicated character, and I would hope that people could empathize with her in some form instead of just thinking that she's a little jerk. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you talk about this a little bit in your last response about, like, the expectations we have on women, right? Um, mm-hmm. and young pe- And young people, but... Um, you know, I want to get your thoughts on um, just a little more on that, like who as women we're expected to be. And um, as Latina or Latinx um, people who might identify as femme or women, um, yeah. w- w- 
what are your thoughts on like how we move that forward and how we shatter some of it? Obviously, you're doing that work with your book and your writing, um, but but what else is there? Yeah, I think um, we've been conditioned as fans to serve others, to always put others first, and um, I see that in my family always. Like the women are always sacrificing what they want and who they are for the comfort and the well-being of other people. And so that's something that I definitely push against. Um, I think that it's really damaging to expect women to always, you know, um, put themselves last. And I think part of what makes people frustrated with Julia is that she, in a sense, does prioritize herself and her feelings. Um, and I think that's something that I've dealt with in my own life, where I have been seen as selfish for pursuing the kind of life that I want and not, you know, catering to the expectations of others. I think it's time to change that, um, and it's time to, like, get rid of the guilt that we feel for for living our truth. Amen to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, this book really is very straightforward about talking about depression and suicide ideation. It's, it gets to a point where there's some really heavy issues that are talked about um in this book but i'm really grateful that you chose to talk about them because young adults are are going through a lot of these these things right and mm-hmm. because we don't talk about them or haven't in the past you know i i can see how it's so isolating and and only feeds into the the feelings of like depression or hopelessness mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about um, why you chose to delve into that so openly? Yeah. um, Well, as a teenager, I struggled with depression. Um, I think that young people are really honest in ways that adults are not. Um, I think they haven't learned how to mask, like, who they are Mm -hmm. in many ways. And um, I think their bullshit detector is very uh, acute most of the time. Mm -hmm. And so there is no way I was going to pussyfoot around these subjects. Like, kids know when you're being authentic and when you're not. Um, And I think that's one of the reasons that when I, you know, go visit classes and I talk to young people, they appreciate the way I speak to them because I, I don't, you know, cloak things. I, I am very honest and I'm very direct and they don't really get that a lot, I think, in their everyday lives uh, from adults. Like, I I want to keep it real. So, um, mm-hmm. I I think that it's important to be honest about those those types of things and that's always one of my guiding principles in, in writing. Like, does this feel real and honest and authentic? Um, 
And writing about mental health, I think, is really important because most people don't. Um, it's something that's seen as shameful, you know, like you're quote-unquote crazy if you have a mental illness. And so um, I wanted to undo that or start to. And uh, I also wanted to be very frank about what it means to get treatment. Um, a lot of kids don't know, you know, that there are possibilities to, you know, treat their mental illness. Um, a lot of kids don't know that other people experience it also. Uh, that's something that I didn't know as I was experiencing it um, as a young person. I felt like I was a total weirdo and I was totally alone. And so, mm-hmm. um, and that's simply not true. I just didn't realize that at the time. Um, and so that that is another reason that I wanted to be so open about that. Yeah. Yeah, right? Like, <laughs> I'm always a proponent of, like, everybody should be in therapy or working on their healing. Not mm-hmm. everybody might have the resources or the privilege to be able to be in therapy. Sure. But if you do. Do and th- and that is something that is available to you. I'm always the person that's pushing for that because mm-hmm. we all have something that we're healing from or recovering from or working through or need to be working through, right? So some yeah. of us are really good at like packing it away and not mm-hmm. processing or or dealing with it. And um, you know, part of the book that was so painful and so wonderful to read was being able to relate a lot with um, the family and um, just some of the family dynamic within the book, um, Julia's family and Olga's family. Um, This is a a family that has gone through the immigrant experience. And, you know, like you and I have have talked about this a lot, that, you know, we we both grew up in different places. So you grew up in Cicero. I grew up in the Southwest, um, different cities in the Southwest. But both of our parents, you know, came here. Um, and so there are sometimes threads that we find in common, and some of those are really beautiful stories of resilience and strength and courage. And then some of those are um, sometimes really dysfunctional and really toxic. Yeah. And yeah. I know that I know that you and I have talked about, about like like we joke about it, right? It's our it's our way of like kind of detaching from the pain. And that sure. like oh that's so Mexican. Whenever we think about like something that's a little toxic in behavior or, or um, just something familiar, we we talk about how it's so Mexican. Or like if we're around other friends that aren't Mexican but are Latinx um, that have similar experiences. We we talk about that being, like, so blank. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, li- lately I really have been trying to push back on that because I don't think that is necessarily – like, it might be related to the trauma of migration. Sure. But I don't know if it's necessarily related to um, our ethnic background necessarily. So yeah. I just kind of wanted to take a moment to unpack that because there are so many moments in the book where, you know, the family um, is healing as as a family together. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of it is 
taking a look at the dynamics within the family and the role that each each person plays. Um, but what do you think about, you know, the idea that we sometimes conflate dysfunction with <laughs> being Mexican? Yeah. Well, I think we just have uh, sometimes a very specific brand of dysfunction because of our cultural uh, experiences. Like, for instance, the virgin whore dichotomy um, in our culture is pretty deep still. And that's something that I mm-hmm. try to tackle in my writing. Um, it's not an experience that a lot of white women I know have gone through. And so um, that's a, a form of bonding. That oftentimes, like you mentioned, um, between me and other Latinx um, women or friends. Um I think that it's not exclusive to, you know, being Mexican or being Latinx or anything like that. But there's just, there's certain hang-ups that we have that other, perhaps other cultures don't. And I like to unpack that. And I, I don't think those things necessarily equate, like, being... Mexican and, you know, um, experiencing the virgin core dichotomy. Like, I don't think that that's mutually exclusive. Like, you have to be Mexican to experience that. But I think that's just a very common experience. And I, I, I like to question those, those dynamics. Um, but yeah, it's tricky because I, I know some women who, have very nice childhoods and very nice relationships with their mothers and and who happen to be brown um, and that is lovely um and it does exist but uh oftentimes I feel like the the trauma like you said of of migration and the trauma of like belonging to two very different cultures um that manifests a very specific kind of dysfunction. Mm-hmm. No, that's real. And I feel like we could dive so much deeper into that, but we'll, we'll leave it surface for the, for now. And, you know, if you're listening to this and you want to contribute to the, to the conversation, please, you know, um, comment on SoundCloud or shoot us an email or um, slide into our DMs. We'll, We'll be um, sharing our um, social media uh, in just a little bit as well. Um, in the book, Julia gets help. Um, um, quite possibly uh, in one of the like hardest ways, right? Um, it, it comes after something really tragic happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but if someone's listening right now or or is a young adult reading your book, um, what would you want them to take away in terms of the act of asking for help or or seeking uh help with with their own healing journey? Well, what I hope people get from the book is that it doesn't have to get to that breaking point for you to be able to ask for help. 
um, and that there's no shame in asking for help because we all need help at some point in our lives, and that's okay. And um, I think that's something that, as women of color, we hesitate to do because we're supposed to be strong and we're supposed to be, like, the pillars of our families and we're supposed to be the ones that comfort and serve others. Um, and, you know, that's, that's really not healthy to think about yourself in that way. I think um, teaching people to be compassionate towards themselves is something that I I hope to do through the writing. Mm-hmm. How are you currently practicing um, your own advice? <laughs> like, yeah. how do you ask for help? How are you taking care of yourself? You know, what are some little gems that you can leave with us? Yeah, well, as you know, um, the year that I lived by myself around the corner from you, I um, I had a really hard time feeding myself. I don't know why. I just felt like wasn't a priority like I would just eat like random things and not really care about <laughs> the, the food that I that I had in my house or um it was just kind of sad like the meals that I ate but recently moving here well I'm alone my boyfriend is not here yet living with me so I have a lot of time to just be by myself and um I decided that, I, I, it, you know, it was important for me to start cooking and thinking about my nutrition again. So just cooking healthy meals and, and um, exercising. I run. Uh, running for me is very healing. It, it makes me feel, like, healthier physically and mentally. Um and allowing myself to just enjoy the good things that happen for me. I think for so long, for so much of my life, whenever anything good happened, I was afraid, like, that it was going to be taken away in some form. Mm. And I'm getting to the point in my life where I don't really believe that anymore. Like, I, I feel like I've earned the life that I created. And um, something's really, like, amazing about that. Like, I, I feel, you know, I I just bought a car, for instance. Um, and for so long, I just, like, drove this beater. And now I have this, like, nice new car. And for the first few weeks that I had it, I was like, oh, man, this is too nice. I don't deserve this. And now I'm like, fuck this. Like, <laughs> I earned it. Like, I worked really hard to get to this place. So just feeling grateful, um, but also acknowledging that I worked to get to this place in my life. Yes, and I'm also going to just push back on that a little bit. Like, even if you hadn't worked hard, you deserve it, right? Just as a a human, we deserve deserve to live a quality life. And, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we're hard workers, you and I, um, but also remembering that we're we're worthy regardless of our work. Yeah, that's um, something important and, and to our, consider. 
our productivity. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I appreciate you. I really love that you took the time today to talk about these things because I know it can be a lot when we dive into this, but I think it's so important that we do. Um, I want to give you a moment to talk about some exciting things that are coming up. So obviously go out and buy the book. I'm not your Mexican, I'm not your perfect Mexican daughter. Um, it's yeah. out, you can, wherever you can buy books, you can, you can order it on Amazon. You can preferably go to your local bookstore and support your local bookstore. Um, but you have some amazing, fun, exciting, um, places that are, or events that are coming up where you're going to be in person, um, doing readings and meeting and greeting people, right? <laughs> so do you want yes. to mention some things that are coming up? Sure. Um, also, I'd like to mention my book of poetry came out in July, um, Lessons on Expulsion. And so that's another uh, way that I've, you know, addressed a lot of these issues is through my poetry. And so um, there's that. And then and I have many, many appearances coming up. It's a little bit overwhelming, but in a great way. Um, I have the Chicago Humanities Festival. Um, I'm participating in two different events. For that, um, I'm going to the um, Texas Book Festival in Austin. I will be at Wordstock in Portland, Oregon. Um, I will be participating in a panel um, at the Boston Book Festival, or two panels. Um, so I'm kind of all over the place. I really need to create a document with all of my appearances, but um, I've been so overwhelmed with the appearances <laughs> that I can't even, like, make this document. So um, follow me on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, and you will have these updates. Wonderful. And I'll be sure to link all of those in the show notes um, on SoundCloud. Thank you. This is Sana Sana Podcast. I'm Adriana. And I'm Adriana. So, yeah, that was uh, Erica Al Sanchez calling in from Princeton, <laughs> where she now is living. Um, did you have anything you wanted to add about the Corazón a Corazón? No, just thank you. And I'm just excited to finish the book, really. Yeah, and just, you know, really quickly, just a quick editor's note. Some the next few uh, interviews that we have um, will be facilitated by me, but moving forward soon, you'll be able to hear interviews um, with both of us. And yeah, just stay tuned for some of that. Okay. And now we're just going to do a quick resource dive with Colita de Rana. So as we mentioned, Colita de Rana, we just wanted to share some resources with you guys um, in terms of kind of like the topics that we're talking about. So the ones that I chose were uh, are all here Chicago specific, um, except for NAMI. NAMI is um, a nationwide organization, but there's a NAMI Chicago here. Um, I also have thresholds. Um, and the Children's Research Triangle. So these are all organizations that you can look up, um, use as a reference and resource um, if you want to know more about mental health, depression, and other um, issues 
around the topic. So um, you can find Children's Research Triangle at childrensresearchtriangle.org. And you can find NAMI at namichicago.org. And that's N as in Nancy, A, M as in Mary, I, NAMI. And Thresholds at thresholds.org. We've reached the end of episode two. Wow. So as we say goodbye, uh, we want to, we always end it with sana mañana. Taken from the song again, we think we're being cute and clever with that. But honestly, it's also just a way to remind us to take care of ourselves, to heal ourselves, to heal, to continue healing. Um, right, and if the, if you're not healing today, if you're not in that place today, maybe it will happen tomorrow. Yes. So how are you going to be taking care of yourself this week? <sighs> That's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> so I am going to just be very mindful of not getting too stressed out over stuff that I really can't control, which is something that happens Mm. to me all the time, right? So I'm just going to focus on what I can control. And often that's just like the stuff that I do, right? I'm going to try to go to the grocery store and buy real food and cook that. Mm. Pack my lunches, which Mm -hmm. is very important for me, even though I don't do it as often as that I should or would want to. And then, yeah, keep taking my medication, keep drink, keep drinking water, keeping hydrated. And I actually start therapy again in a couple of weeks. So I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully it all works out. So I'm excited. That's how I'm going to be taking care of myself. Mm, I'm excited for you. Yeah. So you guys will hear all about it. This is kind of like my diary. The preview. Yeah. How about you, Tokaya? How are you going to be taking care of yourself? I am taking a break from work. And I'm going to be reading a lot. Um, I'm actually going to hold myself up in my house a little bit this week because nice. there, there's a lot of uh, home projects I've been neglecting, like dishes. <laughs> That's a project. Join the club. <laughs> my dishes. <coughs> Laundry. And, yeah, vacuuming. I mean, these are some very basic self-care. Yeah, absolutely. Things that, like, these are necessities, like keeping your house clean when it's about how you like feel and how you um, feel comfortable in your own home is such a big part of self-care. I completely agree with that. So I really want to make sure that I take time to um, set up my... I'm actually trying to set up a very designated, very special little meditation corner in my house. Nice. Because I want to do that way more often. I do it often enough, but I want to make it a daily practice. That's actually something that I've been looking into is meditation. Because I'm such an anxious person, it's so difficult for me to really get into like a medita- meditative state mm-hmm. and actually meditate. But it's something that I really mm-hmm. want to start doing. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, you can talk to me a little bit more about how that goes for you. Yeah, well, and that's, I could plug, you remind me to plug. I actually teach a journaling as healing workshop on Monday nights. My best friend is actually here early to do that um and we do a lot of meditation in the workshop and we talk about how we can use writing and journaling as part of that healing so we could talk more about that on a future episode for sure um but yeah those are just a few things i'm going to be trying to do this week as i take care of myself 
Awesome. I'm glad to hear that. Well, this has been a fun show. I um... Tell us how you take care of yourselves, please. I need tips. Definitely would love to hear that. Yes, yeah, share your resources with us and with our community. Um, and again, remember, send us tweets to at Sana Sana Podcast and love letters slash hate mail at sanasana podcast at gmail.com wonderful wow this has been so fun we are really excited to come back and talk to you next week sana mañana sana mañana thank you for tuning in to another episode of sana sana podcast written and co-hosted by adriana and adriana our theme song is by alina celeste our cover art features a photograph by tanto jensen join the conversation follow sana sana on twitter at at Sana Sana Podcast. Or send us love letters to sanasanapodcast at gmail.com. Sana Sana is a Despierta production and is recorded at Full Circle Collective in the Bridgeport Art Center in Chicago, Illinois. To learn more about Full Circle, visit fullcirclecollective.space.